For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Weekend edition of the call up. It is Saturday, July 23rd. And if you notice that the background's a little bit different for both of us, Jack, the little cue for when you're home is that little rainbow thing to, to, to the left of you for those that are watching on YouTube. For me, it's just whatever different backdrop. I'm in Boston. Got to see Enrique Bradfield play yesterday in yeah. Kituit. That was super awesome, but we're obviously going to be breaking down the draft today. I did the first round episode earlier this week. I promised we'd be flying through. The rest of the rounds are at least, you know, the most notable picks rounds two through 10 and beyond. But a lot of first round signing bonuses dropped today, Jack. So we got a lot to go through in this weekend edition of the call up. Yeah, you saw Enrique Bradfield. I saw I got a 30th row seat to the Stephen Kwan show, which was awesome. I love Kwan, dude. I love the way he approaches at bats. Um, So that was great to see him in person. It was great to validate all my thoughts about Lucas Giolito so far this year in person. Um, So, yeah, that that was that. I'm back home. These are hexagons, actually. They're not rainbows. My mom was big on like painting the hexagons and doing a bunch of different colors for them. So, yeah, I am. uh, I'm back in the Chicagoland area at uh, my parents' house, but I go back to Indy uh, very soon. So that'll be that. So you did a dive on kind of the whole draft yesterday as well. And, and we have some takeaways that I'm excited to get into, but I, I figured we can just kind of start with the the rough, just first round recent signing bonuses that yeah. we we were just that they kind of trickle out. And, and we know that there's a deadline that creeps up very quickly and teams start to, to really start to flesh out and kind of nail down all of those signing bonuses as those come. But I'd say we almost have half of the first round locked down. I mean, Jackson holiday signed for 8.1, which is interesting, closer to $8.2 million, which is interesting because the signing bonus slot pool is 8.8. So both drew Jones and Jackson holiday roughly get the same amount, yeah. uh, which is well under the first overall pick slot value. So is that major league baseball just kind of saying nobody is worth it at, at number one, is that just saying the slot value is was wrong? I, I'm a little bit confused by that one. No, the numbers the numbers are going to continue to get higher. Like Jackson Holiday and Drew Jones have, I think, the top two bonuses to ever come in for a high school guy. Bobby Witt was seven nine, 
um, Jackson Holiday and Drew Jones both just eclipsed eight. So I I think what we were talking about on the stream when we did that on Sunday night, and for those that are listening that joined us on the stream last Sunday, thank you very much. But we were talking about it, and I posed the question to you, who's going to come in at a higher number, Drew Jones or Jackson Holiday? And the answer is relatively the same, because we knew that Baltimore went with Holiday, A, because they really like what he does, but B, because they were thinking they could possibly underslot him, unlike Jones, who was going to ask for the full slot. Yep. And Drew Jones got the full slot from two. So <laughs> I, identical numbers, pretty much, and understandably so. Yeah, I wonder if Drew Jones at number one would have said just, yeah, I want the full slot. I and want 8-8, eight, eight, yeah, yeah. Because they don't have – and that's a way that teams – or players, excuse me, can kind of strong arm a little bit to control where they go. Because if he would prefer Drew Jones to go to Arizona than Baltimore, then – he can just really say, I'm taking the full slot no matter what. Take me if you want, I'll sign, but I'm taking the full slot. So if they can get Jackson Holiday for the number two pick slot value, it's a no-brainer. And that's exactly kind of what we saw go down there. Uh, Kumar Rocker, which we we knew was going to be in this ballpark. We knew that was going to be the signing bonus. That was already reported, I believe, and when we talked about it earlier, at $5.2 million. So they save a good amount of money there. The slot value was $7.6, roughly, 7.59 if we want to be exact. I'll probably round by two to three thousand dollars for those wondering just just for the sake of of just speaking normally and not yeah. having to go to decimals every single time here. Um, yeah. Elijah Green gets the slot value at six five. That was kind of what we expected there. Uh, Jacob Berry, thirty thousand dollars under the slot value. Not much of a surprise there. Brooks yeah. Lee gets over slot, which is. I think what we would somewhat expect, but I thought maybe because he fell, it would just kind of go there. And then Cade Horton, it's not loaded into Spo Tracker or in some of the other places yet, but I'm seeing Cade Horton about a million dollars or a million and a half under slot. Is that is so? That the value, saying? the value is five seven one. He came in at four four five, so that's about one point three under. They're going to use it. It sounds like on Jackson Ferris, the lefty at mm-hmm. IMG that they took in the second round. I and I talked about that on yes or on the last episode. I really like that breakdown there where they were able to get two first round arms. We talked about it on the stream that, you know, obviously seventh overall is early for Horton, but if you're getting Jackson Ferris in the second round, I mean, that's two first round arms that you're able to get in a system that really needed the arms. Much like what we saw with Texas. I mean, Brock Porter, we were thinking that it could be a long drawn out process of trying to lure him into signing. It was not. He signed this week for, for over slot. Now Kumar signed under slot. You got first round money for two first round talents. One was drafted in the first round. One was drafted in the fourth round. Exactly. And, and and that's two teams, two organizations that really, really needed the pitching. So that approach, I think, really works. And then a couple others in the first round before we move over to some of the other rounds and notable picks and kind of just overall draft classes. I was surprised Jet Williams from the Mets got about yeah. $300,000, a little bit more than $300,000 under the slot value at 14. So I, I assume that the Mets may have to go over slightly on Parada. It's definitely yeah. going to be the full slot value at the very least. Um, and then the Mets, you know, we'll see how they kind of shuffle things around there. A few others in the back end of the first round. Owen Murphy, the mm-hmm. Atlanta Braves first round pick at 20th overall. He gets under slot at about 900,000 less than the slot value, which is Really important because I know that the Braves liked Murphy, and this is kind of a Braves approach. They really like an arm in the back end of the first. That was probably more of an early second round pick. They take him, and then they get creative with the rest of their picks. I like Murphy, and the more I keep diving into him, the more I like his upside as a really athletic and talented pitcher. Probably one of the best high school seasons we've ever seen uh, between what he did on the mound and at the plate. What was it, like a .17 ERA and 
and 20 pumps or something crazy like that. Like we don't have to pull yeah, it up, yeah. but it was something really ridiculous there. Cooper Jerpy signed already as well. Full slot value. Not a surprise there with the Cardinals at 22. And then Eric Brown Jr., who I continue to hear really good things about from our own Pete Flaherty, who got plenty of looks at him, really likes the bat to ball, really likes the way he approaches the game and really likes the defense at second base. He got about $600,000 under the slot value from the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, I, I think you pulled up the numbers. What, what what does it look like for our man Owen Murphy? Owen Murphy not only was uh, Riverside Brookfield High School's uh, starting quarterback and Riverside Brookfield about 15 minutes from me. Like I, I, I was talking to my younger brother who's a freshman in college now, and he said that all of his friends that played baseball were like, "Oh shit!" Like Owen Murphy, he's he's the guy. Like he just shredded us on the travel circuit and in the high school circuit. Uh, this past year, he was Illinois Gatorade Player of the Year. 58 and a third innings on the mound, 137 strikeouts and a 0.12 ERA. <laughs> and then at the plate, he hit 548 with 18 bombs in like a 30 game season. If you dropped, if you dropped me or you into a, a little league, are we putting up those numbers? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so either. I think I'm getting hurt before I do that. Yes, I think so. So let's break into some of your takeaways and then we'll, we'll also kind of fit in some some more slot value or some more signing bonus numbers as we get into the other rounds as well. Because, you know, some of the players in the other rounds have kind of found uh, deals or reached deals with their teams already. Uh, but I, I loved a lot of your takeaways. I agree with a lot of it. And it kind of just segues us into some important talking points. Uh, we'll start with the Cubs because we already talked about Ferris and Horton. But if you look at what they did, they took 16 pitchers. And again, can't reiterate enough how much they need pitchers. They take the L.A. Angels approach here, basically, and take a bunch of arms. Now, what do you think about that from the Cubs? Because we haven't really seen them take that approach until this year. And it's kind of interesting that all of a sudden they just decide to go all in on this. Uh, I'm surprised they didn't do it last year. They needed pitching last year. They did take Wicks. He basically fell in their lap. I'm just surprised to see them go this pitcher heavy. But I, I don't hate it. Yeah, I know. I know Jake and Jordan at a Cespedes family barbecue were again praying for another no hitter. Um, they were so excited that uh, the Angels took 20 pitchers in 20 rounds. But the Cubs, I think, were the closest one to throwing a no hitter in the draft to get 16 in 20 rounds. Um, I, I think they noticed what they lack. And you look at the Cubs farm, you look at high A, you look at double, you even look at low A. They've got prospects at pretty much every infield and outfield position. Yeah. And catcher, I mean, like, depending on what you what you see from Amaya, that might be the spot um, that they got to worry about a little bit. But then it's pitching. You look at the big league talent. Who sticks around on that big league team? Not Stroman. I mean, maybe Justin Steele, maybe Keegan Thompson. But those are not guys that you can get excited about. Killian Wicks, hers. Those are probably the guys. Uh, but aside from that, you've got next to nothing pitching wise. Yeah. So how do you address next to nothing? You have 20 available picks and you spend 16 of them on pitchers. And I like a lot of the arms that they got. I think they mix the upside with, I think, solid higher floor types of arms as well. But uh, they swung for the fences, I think, as much as any team in, in this draft. And they definitely went for as, as many high upside guys in the beginning as they could. And then they kind of balance it out with some more college arms in the back end. I think Nazir Mule, who really good yeah. by Naz Mule, is probably like the, the pinnacle of that. Uh, high floor or high ceiling, high ceiling, low, low, low floor, kind of just an athletic freakish 
high school arm that, you know, we, we could see him kind of burn out or we could see him, you know, hit the ground running. And all of a sudden we're like, wow, why did so many people pass on him? He was a 94th ranked prospect by MLB pipeline. He was selected at 113, but I thought that was a pretty interesting pick there. And uh, what, what else is interesting is that the Cubs are one of the teams that are a little bit behind when it comes to finding agreements with their uh, players, uh, yeah. with their draft class. So I know that they have to really get creative here, but they went really, really largely under slot with Nick Hole. He got $25,000 as a college senior. So they balanced out with some of those guys, but they identified some four-year college arms that they like that they think could, you know, maybe be a bullpen piece or a fifth starter or whatever, like a Nick Hole um, to balance out because they're going to have to get creative with the money here. Think about this. They took, they took Horton, who's obviously you already signed for about 1.3 under slot. Uh, Ferris, they're going to have to overslot at 166. Uh, Pachola in the third round is a shortstop. He, the slots at 735. I have no idea what they're going to do there. He's a high school guy. Nazmule, they'll probably need to overslot. But then you look at their fifth round pick, Brandon Birdsell out of Texas Tech. He's a four year senior. You look at Nick Hull, who you mentioned, 25K. He was in his fifth year. He was a grad this yeah. year, and they took him in the top 10 rounds. You look at Connor Nolan. He was a four-year senior. You look at Brody McCullough, four-year senior. They took a lot of these guys that they can absolutely jip in the bonus department because they got nowhere else to go, and they can give it to Mule, they can give it to Pachola, and they can give it to Jackson Ferris. Because they had to go – they went with as much upside as they could on the top end, and then they had to punt. And I hate to say punt because some of these guys could be decent arms, but they had to punt signing bonus wise on those other picks because it was just the only thing, the only way that they were going to able to make the money work. And I still think it's going to be a squeeze for them. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they're able to do all this uh, and you kind of see how they're going to be able to to make it all happen. But I'm, I'm sure they will. I know they kind of went into that with a specific strategy and I, I like what they did. I like what they did. Uh, we look at the Atlanta Braves, too, because yeah. I know you liked their their draft roughly. Because of Blake Burkhalter, I know that was the pick that you really liked. But the Atlanta Braves have always been interesting. We talk about the the arms that they draft at the end of the first round. You know, it's it's a risky profile for the most part that they like to go after here. But it seems to be working for them in some respects. I mean, we're seeing you know Jared Schuster start to look really good. Uh, we've seen some of their other guys either be trade chips or start to develop well. And then of course you can talk about Spencer Strider and what he's yeah. been able to do for them as well. Um, they go with Murphy. They also go with Jr. Ritchie, who gets about twenty thousand dollars over the slot value as well in the compensation round at 35, which is interesting because the rank, uh, if you look across the board, was a little bit lower, but he was a guy that got some helium at the end. So that's another arm that's really exciting. They go four straight arms there, Cole Phillips as well, and then Burkhalter. They had four picks in the in the top, what, 76? On the first night, yeah. Yeah, because they were able to go out and acquire one of those. And it seemed like they just really wanted to keep playing to the strength of, of pitching all of a sudden for them, which has been really interesting. So with that pick, they're able to get another arm. And, and, and was that Burkhalter selection? Uh, that was the one they already had. The 35th pick, the J.R. Ritchie pick was the one they traded for. Yeah, for Waters. Uh, you could see kind of what they were going for here. And and I think it kind of worked out for them. Yeah. And, and I like the Ritchie pick. Um under slotting Murphy and under slotting Burkhalter in compensation round two by $210,000 for Burkhalter was awesome because it allowed them to go get Cole Phillips. They overslotted Phillips in the second round. They overslotted Seth Keller in the sixth round, who's another high school arm. So Burkhalter, I liked that pick alone, regardless of if you got the full slot value, if they would have to go a couple thousand over slot, or if they could under slot like this, because we were talking about it earlier this week. While Jerpy looks like a guy that can get up quickly, 
I think Burkhalter's probably the favorite to get up to the bigs first. He can help the Braves in the bullpen this year. He was so good in the NCAA tournament. I think that in September, in October, Blake Burkhalter is going to be making appearances for the Atlanta Braves and getting that guy by $200,000 under slot value in, you know, the back half of the top 100 picks, I think is exceptional. I mean, he was the best relief option. Uh, probably he might, he might've been a better relief option than Ben Joyce. I'll say that he might've been a better relief option than Ben Joyce, because while Joyce throws one Oh five, Burkhalter has more of the mix. He feels like the guy that can just kind of dog it down. Um, and I, I think that Burkhalter will be one of the star relievers from this class. And the fact that they went and got him, I think immediately helps them. And and he's got that, that Kevin Copps kind of cutter, which has yeah. worked for him now too. It, it used to be a slider and manipulated it to a cutter. And uh, I, I really like the, the, the profile because the command really ticked up and all of a sudden now he's able to just kind of pound the strike zone as a reliever with stuff that he trusts kind of zone with. I agree. I think that was the pick for them where they're, it, you have these competitive teams that seem to have that third or fourth round pick or, or their third or fourth selection, depending on what their draft situation is and how many picks they have, where they like to throw in a guy that might get up there this year. And they kind of hope we were hoping that that would, that would be Kevin cops. I, I don't know why he hasn't necessarily kind of, you know, followed that quicker trajectory like we thought. But I think Burkhalter, I agree, easily could. The difference, too, is Burkhalter has a little bit more of a mix. Like you said, Kevin Copps was one pick or one pitch, excuse me. Um, and, and I guess he's still trying to work and hone in on that at the at the professional level. He's looked pretty good, at least so far from what I've seen. But Burkhalter could end up being another bullpen piece for, for the Braves, like you said. And that's extremely exciting. And then I think we can really see the value here of acquiring that 35th pick. It's one thing to hear it. And see the trade. And again, they, they traded not only Drew Waters, but they also traded uh, a couple of decent prospects along CJ Alexander and then Kaufman, a pitcher who, who has actually put up yeah. really good numbers this year. But when you see the whole draft breakdown and how much more money and flexibility that that offered them with the $2.2 million value, but also just what it allows them to do and the player that they're able to get here, you can see why the Braves were willing to, willing to give up some prospects here to get that 35th pick. Yeah, 100%. I, I think that the Braves nailed what they wanted to do on that first night of the draft, and I think that they executed really well. Um, my my third takeaway here is with Cincinnati. I yeah. think that not just with Collier and Sal Stewart, who were both, you know, Collier, 17 years old, Sal Stewart was a high school guy. Um, they did well with their first two picks. But after that, you got guys, college bats, Logan Tanner, Justin Boyd, Kate Hunter, Trey Feltine, they complemented this litany of pitching that they have with Williams, with Green, with Lodolo, with Ashcraft, with Chase Petty now after the Sunny Gray deal, with hitting that not only is good and high floor, but matches the window. That was the big thing for me. High school bats don't necessarily align with when the Reds want to compete. They want to start competing probably in 2024. And by going to get a ton of college bats, they just added a bunch of guys that can compete in 2024. And we'll see how quick a guy like Sal Stewart or a guy like Cam Collier can rise. Um, but I, I think that it's those middle round picks that really did well for them. Yeah, you know, Matt Nelson has been a bit of a disappointment out of the gate for for the Cincinnati Reds. And that was their their first round pick essentially last year or a compensation pick last yeah. year catcher out of Florida state. And 
you know, I think they wanted to go out and try and try another catcher, throw another catcher into the system, into the mix. And Logan Tanner's got probably the best arm in the draft, uh, yep. but also can swing it a little bit too. And I, I like that pick. I, I was expecting him to go earlier. I thought he could be even a compensation guy with the defensive ability that he has, because you're looking at a draft where the, it was a lot of offensive centric catchers and, and Tanner has some receiving uh, improvement to do as almost any, you know, college catcher does or high school catcher does. But I think Tanner has some of the most exciting kind of defensive upside there. And then one of my favorite picks in the draft, I think this could be kind of the Andrew Abbott-esque steal for the Reds is, is Bryce Hubbard. I really yeah. liked that pick for them. And I think that they can develop him nicely with the way a lot of the arms in their system have been going. I was surprised Hubbard fell to them there. And I'm interested to see kind of what, you know, what their aggressiveness is going to be with him. Because I do really like the arm. I think there's a lot of talent there. And we're going to have to see how the Reds figure this out too, though. Because most of the guys, for the most part, if we look at the rounds that they have really already inked dudes to signing bonuses, they've agreed with Justin Boyd, their comp B pick, who was an outfielder from Oregon State. He only yeah. got about 50000 under slot. They did save about 100000 or a little bit more with Bryce Hubbard. Uh Saved about 80000 with that other pick with Kenya Huggins. But there was no massive savings so far. How much is Collier going to command falling from where we expected him to go in the, the top seven picks all the way to 18? What's the price going to be? And how do they make that money work? I think Sal Stewart is going to end up being a little bit of an underslot guy, even though he's a high schooler, because he was more of, a, of an expected either second, third round guy or go to school. So I'm expecting him to probably get under the slot value, but that they must have really liked the kid out of Westminster Christian. So they get a pair of high school third baseman, which I think is extremely interesting. But I think it was just the way it kind of shaked out for them to get a high upside high school bat that doesn't break the bank for them when they're trying to shuffle the money around for a Cam Collier. Yeah, and I, I think one of those guys can make an effective move to a corner outfield spot, too. Um, and, and I think that they're banking on that. When you take a high school guy in the bat, it's really easy to move a high school position player out of their comfortable position. You play whatever position in high school. Like how many high school catchers were taken that have turned into really good other players yeah. defensively? I mean, think about Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper was a catcher in high school and in junior college. Bryce Harper is not a catcher anymore because he needed to sign a 13 year, $330 million deal or $300 million deal. Machado was 13, 330. Yeah. What was the Harper was roughly that Harper, I think was 13, 300. I think Machado was 13, 330. And that tells you what I do on Friday nights. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think that the reds nailed it and it's funny. I forgot the futures game guy that they had in Andrew rabbit when I was naming off all these starters. And I think, when you can do that off the dome, when you can pull Green, Lodolo, Ashcraft, Williamson, Abbott, Petty, Phillips. and then, yeah, Phillips, how about Roa? How about Bonin? Like, they've got nine or ten guys in the saddle that look like they can be, at the very least, back-end Major League starters. You have to, have to, have to trade both Luis Castillo and Tyler Malley right now because you have too much pitching. I understand that you're hoping that one of those guys turns into Luis Castillo and another one turns into Tyler Malley. But if you can trade those two guys for bats that match your window, you just became a Goliath of a system in Major League Baseball. Yep. Yep. I, and I like just the, just the upside that they acquired here and the value that they acquired here. And it's going to be interesting to see how the Reds 
approach things because they're not just a full teardown, you know, five years out kind of team. They've got some big league talent. They've got some minor league talent that's already making its way to the upper levels. I mean, Ellie De La Cruz even is already in double A. a. So they're in a very interesting spot here, and I'm excited to kind of see how they approach it uh, with with just what kind of trades they're going to make at this deadline, where their system's at. And I will say I like Trey Faltine is is, is a sleeper here at yeah. that seventh round pick. Look, he struck out as much as any legitimate prospect in yeah. college baseball, but he is a ridiculously good defender at shortstop, puts up some really impressive eggs of Elos. I like the swing. It just seems like it's more just approach, pitch recognition, and a little bit of inconsistency there. But there's enough upside where I'm happy to take a flyer on that guy in the seventh round out of Texas. So I I think they they did a good balance of a little bit of everything here. And I thought the Cincinnati Reds had a great draft. Uh, You want to go to Colorado now? Uh, Cleveland. How about Cleveland Cleveland playing to their strong suits here, getting Parker Messick and Dylan DeLucia? I mean, those two are locks to just add to the stable here. You think about high floor college arms that Cleveland has taken over the last couple of years. You think about Tanner Burns. You think about Logan Allen. You can also think about Doug Nikhazy. You can think about Tommy Mace. Uh, And now you're adding Parker Messick and Dylan DeLucia to go with Daniel Espino and the talent that's already up there and Tristan McKenzie and Shane Bieber. Cleveland just knows what kind of guys they want. And I think that Messick is going to be incredible. And I think that the most outstanding player at the College World Series in Delusia is is going to be incredible as well. And don't forget, they took a guy that could kind of be this year's Gavin Williams in terms of what he's able to do already on the mound. And I his forgot Gavin upside. Williams. They, they have Justin Campbell. Uh, and Justin Campbell, a six foot seven kid out of Oklahoma State, power pitcher. And what's interesting is we always see the Guardians kind of take these these guys that are more, you know, deeper arsenal, like four above average pitches and then help them tick it up. And Campbell is kind of that, even though he's six, seven and and it's kind of effortless from him, he can touch 97. He's more of a guy that sits in the low to mid nineties and has an assortment of pitches. He's comfortable attacking you with fastball, curveball, slider changeups, probably the best and, and good command. So it, what's interesting is that even though he's six foot seven, you'd expect him to be a power guy. With with no command, he's got power there, but he's more of that finesse guy. And, and again, the Guardians seem to always identify those dudes and and just find a way to develop them really well and, and get that stuff to continue to tick up. And I, I really like the arms of the guy here. Parker Messick as well. I mean, you look at the, you look at Messick and again, I kind of give a nod to Andrew Abbott here, six foot two twenty polished college arm that you could see climb through the minors pretty quickly. They're, these guys are in the perfect organization. And then, of course, Chase DeLauder at the top. I like yeah. them getting a bat, especially an outfield bat. And DeLauder is somebody that, you know, I think has some things to work out with his lower half. And, and you know, I think we'll get there. Uh, the production of James Madison was ridiculous. But to go get that first round bat, and DeLauder was a cl- clear cut first round bat, even with the draft stock slipping a little bit with the injury and getting blown up against Florida State, but still put up great numbers. To get the arms, like you mentioned, mix in some college bats. I really like the way they approach this draft. And this is going to be uh, just an organization that continues to just stockpile because they draft well, they develop well. And when they make trades, they usually identify pretty well. Also sneaky, sneakily, we could look back and this could be one of the best draft classes, I think from, from 2022. Yeah, I, I think so as well. I mean, what they do and 
I'm so impressed by obviously their development. I think that them and the Dodgers are the two best developing guys. Um, Houston's right there. And recent memory, it's the Yankees that are probably right there as well. Um, but they haven't been there for a while. But in Cleveland, it's always been. They just develop the shit out of their guys, man. I mean, like they can grab anybody and turn them into a major leaguer. And I, I think that's what they do. But over recent years, I've just been so impressed by their ability to seek out guys that fit the mold and draft them and sign them like all of the international free agent signings. And I don't know if they're grabbing them as a 16, 17 year old and just molding them into the Cleveland Guardians way. But I feel like they all fit the mold. Like Valera is the outlier here. Yep. John Kensey Noel is kind of the outlier here. And those because, guys are like steals of all. Steals. Yeah, they're steals. They're so unique. And you're willing to adjust your thought process on a guy like Valera or John Kensey Noel. But Stephen Kwan. There are a lot of Stephen Kwans in that in that system. I mean, Richie Palacios is like Stephen Kwan light. Will Brennan is Stephen Kwan light. You know, it's it's so incredible what they do on the pitching side, on the hitting side. They have a type. They figured out that the type works and they go to it every year. Well, and to, to reiterate that point before we, we move on to the next team is, again, just kind of hammering the the command and and deep arsenal over just oh this guy has two plus pitches and we're going to help help him develop a third which i think is interesting because if a guy doesn't have any feel for a third or a very 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 light feel for a third pitch it's pretty hard to teach that but if you have a guy that has three or four pretty good pitches might be a little bit easier at least for them to help those pitches tick up especially yes. when you have the command Listen to Parker Messick here with his numbers. 98 and two-thirds innings, 144 Ks, 18 walks. There's yep. a guy that just pounds the strike zone, mixes it up, and the Guardians are going to kind of help take him to the next level. And then even a six foot seven Justin Campbell, this guy threw 101 and a third's innings, 141 Ks, 25 walks. These are guys that have no command questions coming into professional baseball. And that's exactly what the Guardians seek out. Uh and, and, I, and I love that. So I, I agree. I, I think that's an awesome takeaway. And again, the Guardians just continue to guardian. Um, and, and I love it. I love what they're doing. Is, is Another it, is guy. It, is it yeah. Rocky's time? Uh, yes. I was just going to run you through. You gave me um, Campbell and you gave me Messick's numbers. I want to walk you through the last three starts for Dylan DeLucia because, again, most outstanding player of the College World Series. I'm looking at what he did in the Super Regional and then in his two starts in the College World Series. Yep. Super Regional against Ole Miss or against Southern Miss. Five and two thirds, four hits, no runs, nine punch outs, two walks. Start number one of the College World Series against Auburn, seven and two, seven and two thirds, four hits, one run, 10 strikeouts, no walks. And then in the College World Series final, a complete game shutout, four hits, seven punch outs, no walks. Hmm. He is so good at mixing and not walking guys and limiting base hits, and gathering stuff them. That's, ticks up a little bit. That's just Jesus. what they look for, man. Um, speaking of stuff ticking up a little bit, I think that Colorado and I think that Bill Schmidt, the GM of the Rockies, are entering this new frontier that the Rockies have not seen themselves in in borderline decades. Gabriel Hughes in the first round out of Gonzaga. We loved the pick when it happened. Yeah. I look at two more. Look at Carson Palmquist in the third round out of Miami. And I look at Michael Prosecchi at a Louisville in the sixth round. Prosecchi was the closer for Louisville. He's got a mid-90s fastball. He's got feel for some secondary stuff that needs to improve. Palmquist is that like sidearm lefty, like low three-quarters to sidearm that 
just didn't walk anybody. And then Hugh, as we mentioned, power sinker slider guy, that's what he can survive on. I think that grabbing those three seasoned college arms was massive for Colorado and what they want to do. I'm really interested to see how they handle Palmquist because Palmquist was probably one of the best closers in the country in 2021 makes the move to the rotation, which was, which was the smart move, you know, for his professional outlook. And he was really good this year, two, eight, nine ERA in the ACC at university of Miami, 84 innings punched out 118 only walked 32. So are, are they going to try to continue to develop him as a starter? I would presume yes, but I think they're, they're prepared for the idea that, you know, he may end up being, being a multi-inning reliever as a lefty. That's fine. What's really interesting is you fly through this draft class, Jack, and they did take several relievers. Zach Agnes out of East Carolina, he yeah. was their their go-to bullpen arm. And East Carolina was one of the best teams in the country this year. And he closed out some big-time games. I think Agnes is going to find his way in the big league still. This is a college senior um, that or junior, but like I think fourth-year guy that continued to just pound the strike zone and, and, and blow guys up and, and just get outs. And I, it seemed like to me, they were just trying to take guys that get outs. They don't care if you're a starter, you're a reliever, whatever. They're just trying to stockpile as many arms that can get outs. And I, I like, I like that. I'm interested in that kind of approach, but again, Hughes at the top is a guy that they're really expecting to develop as a starter. I love the two bats that they get with Thompson and Beck who offset each other beautifully Yeah, beautifully, they do. because Thompson's a bat to ball guy. His numbers were spectacular this past year at the university of Florida, 354, 443, five, uh, 563 slash line, 37 walks, 47 Ks. I mean, you're going to take that every day of the week and he's no slouch w- w- in terms of impact, 11 home runs as well. And then Jordan Beck is the big time power guy at a Tennessee. Um, definitely some swing and miss there. 298, 391, 595, 62 Ks concern but 18 home runs a lot of extra base hits and big time exit velos and a big dude at 6'3 225 i like those two picks because you have a good balance here of a higher floor guy and then a higher ceiling guy and i think one of those two guys is going to figure it out I, I i like the balance of that and then all of the arms whether it's reliever or, or a guy you're going to try in the rotation with those later picks this is a really really good draft class as well from the rockies which i don't understand bill schmidt when he first took the job, he's like, someone asked him about analytics. A reporter asked him, you know, are you, are you guys, you know, the old, the old regime didn't really not regime, I guess, cause he was still kind of part of it, but the, the old Rockies mold was, was not really analytics based. You know, what, what's your plan? It's like, we're going to use a little bit more of that. And that answer just made me re- think like, no way. Um, it's going to be more of the same. I don't know if it's analytics. I don't know if it's more reliance on scouts and just trusting your people more and just having a better structure and better approach. But the Rockies are are doing a better job, point blank, period. And there's no way around that. I think it's taking a deep breath. I, I actually think it's just a strong inhale in through the nose, out That's through it? the mouth, saying like, hold on, let's think about who has survived on the mound in Colorado, who's surviving this year. Herman Marquez sucks. But you know who's been good? Chad Cool. You know who's been good in like three starts before the draft? Jose Urania. What do they do? Sinker slider? We like this Hughes guy out of Gonzaga. Let's do it. Things like that. And and then you look at the farm. Hey, we're really excited about Veen. We're really excited about Tovar. We're really excited about Amador, Warming Bernabel, Drew Romo. These are young, like 
unproven guy. When was the last college guy that they had hit? So they decided, you know what? We've got all this young 19, 20 year old talent. Let's go get a Sterling Thompson and a Jordan Beck and a Ryan Ritter out of Kentucky to help complement that. So if the, the crazy high ceiling high school guy doesn't pan out, we've got a high floor guy with a much lower ceiling in Ritter that we can lean on. We think Tovar is going to be great, but in Amador, if Amador doesn't pan out, he and Ritter are going to be at the same spots now. What's really funny too is Ritter is another phenomenal defender at shortstop. So th- th- this is a system now too also that just has a lot of really good defenders now. I mean, Tovar is probably the best defensive shortstop in the minor leagues or, or one of, and um, Amador is probably going to be one of the best defensive second baseman if he makes the move over there or it could be a passable shortstop. But yeah, I love what they're doing. I love the balance. And um, what is interesting is, is Zach Agnes. I want to circle back to him. He's yeah. drafted as a pitcher was good. Offensively has not thrown that many innings. I think they're looking here to, to kind of buy low on a guy that may start focusing on pitching now and could be another relief piece. I'm really excited to see how Palmquist develops, though, because I think that funky delivery, I think the horizontal movement on his pitches, that's going to play there. And and I I do. My only question is, do they develop him? And that's that's what we have to kind of wait and see. Same question with their their second round pick last year and Jaden Hill. Are they developing that guy? But Hughes, Beck and Thompson at the top no brainer to, to like those three picks. And I think they had a great draft overall. Yeah. And Palmquist, you know, likely starting as a starter Prosecchi again, closer that will likely start as a starter in the system. But if those guys go to the bullpen, if they become swing men or if they become Daniel Bards, I think you're okay with that, man. Pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, we, we talked about the, or I talked about the tigers uh, two picks a little bit on the, on the last episode, but I want to kind of just get your thoughts a little bit there. I loved Jace Young and Peyton Graham. Peyton Graham got over the slot value. Pretty surprising to see him fall. Um, that's borderline two first round picks there. I think Graham was, he, I had him pegged as a compensation guy or earlier. I, I thought he could easily even go in the top 30 um, with with just the offensive upside and, and the ability at shortstop. You like the Tigers draft? I thought that they hit a spot that was interesting because they got Young, who is a second baseman. They got Peyton Graham, who's a shortstop. And then they got the shortstop out of Carolina and Danny Soretti in the middle rounds. Um, I found it really interesting that they were stockpiling up the middle because they just signed Javi Baez to that big deal. Christian Santana is 18 years old. He's not going to be there till 2025. I just saw him gonna... recently. I, I just he, he's he shouldn't even be playing in low A right now. Yeah, <laughs> like I mean, like the FCL. Yeah. What are we doing here? He's 18 years old. Um, I think that they have very good prospects elsewhere. I think that the pitching stable um, is actually pretty good right now with Job and with Ty Madden and with a guy like Wilmer Flores, who has broken out. I think the corners, you've got Torkelson, you've got Colt Keith. That's really exciting. But then up the middle, who are you relying on here? Again, Santana's 18. Ryan Kreidler only can provide so much. Gage Workman, I really like Gage as a person, but he can only provide so much here. And like you think about what Cody Clemens can give you. It's not very much at all. Um, they had a spot that they needed to go get, and they went and got it in Graham, in Young, and in Danny Soretti. And, and I like and and also Luke Gold. I liked the Luke Gold pick, a kid that, 
you know, put up a pretty good career at Boston College, really ticked up in that that sophomore and then, of course, the junior year and had a good summer on the Cape and could do it. Uh, and, and I believe it was like 100 plate appearances, 267, 363, 523 slash line, six home runs on the Cape. And then parlayed that into a really good season this past year where he hit 309, 401, 557, 24 walks, 28 strikeouts. Good bat to ball, a little bit of developing power there, uh, a, a higher floor infielder to just kind of throw in the mix as well. They definitely went infield heavy here. I like it. And then Troy Melton, I, I was even surprised that he got the full slot value as an older guy, but Melton had a spectacular year at San Diego State. Uh, and that's the arm that they kind of mix into this group here that they're probably hoping to develop into a middle of the rotation type, probably projects more of a back end of the rotation, but uh, had a really good year after a disastrous year in 2021. Uh, so he's a guy that's on the upswing and they may be buying before he reaches that pinnacle uh, and, and kind of get him in the right direction. Yeah, 100%, man. Um, you want to move on to Anaheim? You love calling them Anaheim. It, the Angels, LA. LA. But LA like, Angels. If I'm not going to say the Angels, like it, the Dodgers are LA and the Angels are Anaheim, right? Yeah, I know. I know. That's why I never really say anything. So it's fair, Anaheim. Um, yeah. I mean, it, I don't, I don't want to call like the team the team all the time. You know what I mean? Team. Yeah. Well, they, they've inked most of their guys, most um, of their guys. I mean, Zach Net Zach Neto got what three point five. I think it was nine hundred thousand under slot, which is crazy. But I guess there's weren't that many teams calling on him in the top fifteen. Um, ben Joyce gets over slot, yeah. which is also crazy. Dude said I want a million bucks, and he got a million bucks. He's like, I want to be a millionaire, even though he won't be after taxes. But I want to be a millionaire. He gets the a million on the dot. The slot value was seven oh two. Um, but then they they also use some of those savings to sign Jake Madden out of Northwest Florida State, uh, Juco pitcher who's six six one eighty five by listing. So this guy's probably pretty electric. Um, I don't know a ton on him, but I, I like the fact that they're going upside there with another Juco arm. And yeah. then how about Sonny Deshera? They go right. get Sonny Deshera in the fifth round. I was wondering where he was going to go under slot. At about one hundred and seventy-two thousand, but what a so what a story Sonny Deshera is. Look it up if if you're not familiar. I mean, the guy's battled everything, um, yeah. and and just to even be playing baseball is pretty impressive. And I mean, this guy was one of the best hitters in the country. I don't know how how six one two sixty three plays uh, professionally, but I do know how his offensive numbers play, and, and I think the guy can hit. So it'll be interesting to see how he develops on on the professional level. He slashed. 383, 549, 777. I didn't know it was possible. I I think so. I didn't know it was possible to slug 777 in the SEC. I had no clue that that was even feasible, but that's what Sonny D did. And that was the big thing that stood out to me was he signed for less than half his slot value. And the assignment is what really jumped out to me. They already said Sonny D is going to double A. He's just immediately starting at double. You never see hitters start in double, but when you have a 550 OBP and you slug 780 in college uh, in the SEC, you're better than low A. You're yep. better than high A. You're yep. a double A hitter already. Sonny Deshera is a double A hitter. If the Angels are really strapped by the end of the year, you could see Sonny Deshera as a September call up. I wouldn't be the least bit surprised. 
they needed a bat to get ready right away. And it feels like he can be a DH for the LA Angels. I really think so. 68 walks, 55 Ks for Auburn. Originally with Sanford, where he put up just video game numbers. Um, <laughs> the guy can hit. Starting him in double is outrageous. I don't think we really have any instances of that happening. Really, I, I'm thinking I've we've seen some college guys start in high A. Like Blade started in high A. I it, arms will start sometimes. I think double. it's been uh, remember like Olerud or something like that. John Olerud. I think he's the last guy to start in double A. No way. Which was like 30 years ago, unless you yeah. can find a better example. I, so I, that that is outrageous. Regardless, it is it is going to be really hard to find an example. And it's just a testament to, to, to the bat there. Obviously, it's not much he can do else. <laughs> but I, I love Sonny D. I love his story. I'm excited to see what he does professionally and, and, and go from there. Um, are there any other picks that you liked for them? I mean, they got a San Jack boy and Saban Ceballos, which I'm always in <laughs> on a uh, on a San Jack catcher. 14th round. I think there's some intrigue there. The guy can really play defensively. Um, So we'll see how he can, how he can hit and how that develops. But uh, they went well under slot with a couple picks uh, in the seventh and eighth round with, with just college seniors, a two-way player in Dylan Phillips, which is interesting. A lot of TWPs in this draft, which kind of segues us into the giants. But I just thought it was funny to see a TWP who gets $42,000. It's just a, it's just a fascinating component here um, that to to just get that like college senior bonus as a two-way player. But overall, I, Pretty solid draft class from the Angels, I think. And I like their approach there uh, to get an arm that can help them pretty soon in Ben Joyce, a bat in Sunny D that could probably help them pretty soon. I think the goal is for Zach Neto to, to, to kind of climb quickly. Um, y- y- you hope that the egregious leg kick is not a problem for him, um, but he seems to time it up quite well. He did it on the Cape. He's done it in tough spots. So like, we'll, we'll see how it works professionally. But I, I do like Neto the player. I like I like his makeup. I've heard nothing but great things about him in the South Florida realm where he's originally yeah. from. Um, so I I think it's a pretty solid draft for them. Nothing crazy, but uh, just just a really solid balance of high floor and some intrigue as well. Yeah, and, and the only other pick that I want to shout out is the eleventh round. Caden Dana was a high school pitcher out of New Jersey. Don Bra- uh, Don Bosco Prep, um, unheard of signing bonus in the eleventh round. One point oh, yeah, five yeah. million dollars. And that's why they had to punt on the uh, two-way player and and uh, and Joe Stewart, who got poor Joe Stewart. Yeah, then this oh, is why dude. screw the MLB draft structure here to a degree. Like I get it, but th- there's two guys here: Joe Stewart and Matt Kootenay. I hope I'm saying it right. Out Old yeah, Dominion, so. they got seven thousand five hundred dollars, bro. Like, are you serious? It's just like, it's bullshit. That's like a, that's like a F you, you know, like give them 50 K. Like you can't give them 50 (laughs) K. Come on. Like 50, 50 would make a big difference for them compared to 7.5. But anyways, that's, that's an entirely different topic. Uh, you have one of your takeaways. The Mets drafted a guy named Zebulon Vermillion. Is it Vermillion? I, I think it's Zebulon Vermillion, which is just hilarious. I got a DM from a Mets fan that was like, can you give me a report on a recent Mets drafting? I thought they were going to ask me about like Parada and it was Vermillion. I'm like, you really want a scouting report on him or you just think his name's funny? Like, I think his name is sick. I "I don't have a scouting report on him. I never heard of him before this draft, but that that was in on the Mets class. I mean, I've talked to, we talked about them kind of off the the jump. I liked the Jet Williams pick. I liked Parada. I liked what they did there. 
I'm scratching my head, Jack, on the on the San Francisco Giants. Yes. But you know what? Like we're always going to I'm not going to I'm not going to shit on the draft class because it's the San Francisco Giants and they've done a phenomenal job drafting. So if they saw something with Reggie Crawford that they liked, well, I mean, let me rephrase that. There's a lot to see and like with Reggie Crawford. There's a hundred on the mound, presuming, you know, he he returns from Tommy Johnson, Drew, which 99.99% of people do. Uh, There's a lot to like there. The bat I I know is extremely powerful left-handed swing, and he's got a big time arm on the, you know, on the mound. Carson Wisenhunt was, was a surprise to me. I, I know that they were probably just drafting what they thought was the best player on the board there because Wisenhunt was a borderline first rounder, but pop for, for PEDs allegedly. And, you know, has some, some, some questions there. Um, but they did technically get two first round talents, just two extremely risky first round ish talents who were not drafted in the first round or not. were not going to go in the first round because of the risk. Wisenhunt falls to 66 Crawford probably will be an underslot guy at the 30th pick. It, it was just an interesting one, too, there for, for me. Yeah, I mean, my thing with their top two picks is they played zero games this year. Yeah, like, yeah. Wisenhunt has, has started a couple of games for Chatham out on the Cape, but, I mean, zero college games for two college guys that you take with your first two picks is is weird. And I understand that you love the potential in both of them, and I understand that Wisenhunt was arguably the top college arm before he got popped this year. And apparently it was, it was something that like you can get at GNC and not think twice about. It was just like a banned substance in the NCAA. Um, Still, I I prefer my guys with a little bit more awareness as to what's banned and what's not Um, much like Ryan Braun and his Viagra thing or whatever the (laughs) hell that was. We talked about Pedro Severino on the just baseball show um, taking Clomid, which is like an estrogen manipulator that he was like, yeah, I'm I'm trying to spur infertility. And it's like, no, you're trying to hit 30 bombs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like Wisenhunt is unique because I think that he's probably fine. Reggie Crawford, we have no idea how he's going to bounce back from TJ if they want to try him as a two-way guy. He's massive. He can he can hit balls into McCovey Co. I'm sure when he takes BP at, at Oracle Park, he's going to be uh, incredible. When he hops on the mound, he's going to be incredible. My question is, how much tread is on the tires? Yeah, with a two way guy like that, and I'm sure post TJ, like there's probably a lot. Maybe it's good to get it out of the way, though. You know, like that's the other thing as well. Um, You're doing a rubber band into a chain link fence. That's exactly. what people say about Tommy John. Now. So, I mean, that's the hope. And I think that that might be the confidence from from the Giants here. I, we know they did their due diligence. So, you know, I, I think they came away confident with whatever, you know, they, they feel about Reggie Crawford. And look, here's the thing is Reggie Crawford is probably aside from Bubba Chandler uh, now is probably the, the third best two way guy uh, in professional baseball with it being Otani Bubba Chandler and then Reggie Crawford here. And, and I would say Bubba Chandler and Reggie Crawford are, are two guys that, you know, have, have a legitimate shot to make it work. I mean, we're seeing Bubba start to do it at the low A levels. And, and if he starts to do it in, in, in like affiliated ball or not, but like high a legitimate yeah. competition and affiliated ball like that. That's going to be really interesting. We've seen him do it at the complex starting to see him do it in low a, if we see him do it mm-hmm. in high, Hey, it's time to start two way watching this guy. I think Reggie Crawford's going to get a faster track there. I don't know if it's going to be as much time at the complex and uh, it'll be an interesting time to see if he can kind of sink or swim. They drafted Casey Schmidt two way guy out of San Diego state pretty quickly, put the ax on the, uh, 
on the uh, pitching side pitching. of things. Yeah. And now he's just playing third and he's mashing. So I, I think they like the bat enough that if they wanted to, you know, cut down the pitching side of things that they're okay with taking him 30th overall as a big time power bat at six four two thirty five. Dude, I wish the Cardinals let Mason win pitch a little bit. I know. I mean, we saw what he did in the futures game. He threw it 100 miles an hour across the diamond. Yeah. In game. I, I wish they that? let Mason win pitch just a little bit. Well, on that topic, you want to wrap up with your with your Cardinals takeaways? I think so. Um, St. Louis wanted to hit pitching. They hit pitching. Uh, yeah, I think first, so. Yeah. I mean, their first three picks were three college arms. Jerpy. Bryson Motts and Pete Hansen. And I think that those guys, Jerpy especially, um, I said that Jerpy can be a swingman for the Cardinals this season. I think that Hansen can be a back-end starter for them next season. I think that he's a triple-A arm at the very least next season. And I think that Motts can get there very quickly as well. So um, I think that the Cardinals saw something they needed to do, and they absolutely nailed it. I mean, Mott's had some ridiculous numbers, man. I it, The ERA a little bit inflated. He does tend to run into some contact, 90 hits and 90 and two-thirds innings, but 129 Ks and 22 walks across that span as well. So there's a lot to like there. I'm interested to see how he develops and, you know, kind of how they can get him to get a little bit more zone whiff mixed in there. Jerpy's a guy that already has plenty of present zone whiff. Um, but they didn't try to get too too cute with this draft, right? Full slot value for Jerpy, full slot value for for Mots. Like they, they they weren't trying to go too crazy here. And and Pete Hanson though, I think is the one guy that could be the the upside Texas steal here in the third round if he develops nicely. And then uh, they go with the catcher, like you mentioned, and and Jimmy Crooks the third, who yeah. they need catching. Man, like obviously, Yvonne Herrera is the hope. I, I think Crooks is a guy they really liked here, and um, it has some intrigue as well. It's not really a draft where they went. This is probably one of the more like tame draft classes. Most of the guys are going to sign for slot value. It's pretty normal uh, across the board, and it's kind of refreshing to a degree. I think it is. They took seven pitchers in the first ten rounds. All seven pitchers were college pitchers. Like it was, it was, Hey, we've got something we've got to do. And you mentioned they have a needed catcher. They went and got it. You can always use more outfielders. They went and got Victor Scott out of West Virginia. And then they went and got the kid from Elon. Um, And I'm not even going to try and say his last name, but that's, that's what St. Louis does. I feel like they seek talent that can help them quick. And we know how aggressive they are with assignments. Um, they've got two high schoolers that are in double A at like age 20, 19, 20 in, in Walker and Wynn. Um, I think that they've got a plan to continue to compete because we know how good that young core is for St. Louis in O'Neill when he's healthy, in Carlson, in Bader as you have him locked up, and then in guys like Walker and Wynn and Tommy Edmond. I, I think there's a chance to win a ring with Arenado and Goldschmidt here. A hundred percent. And I want to shout out one, uh, one pick in the sixth round that, that the Cardinals made that I like is another high floor college guy. Yeah. Max Radchich, right. Uh, he was their closer initially and, yeah. and had some, some intrigue uh, as a high school guy in 2020. And then ultimately signed or, you know, went to UCLA command over stuff but really pounds the strike zone and was pretty solid this year. And is a younger guy in this class of so 20 years old, um, which I like, I like going for some of the younger college arms that seem to just 
be starting to figure it out. It was his first year of really starting. He held his own on the Cape uh, in 2021, punched out 28 and 25 innings, punched out 92 and 85 innings in the Pac-12 this year, just 20 walks to go with that. Very interested to see how the Cardinals develop him because he doesn't have a single plus pitch, but has three viable pitches in good command. I'm always fascinated. It's always a few of those kind of guys that kind of take their stuff to the next level. And then all of a sudden they look like one of the steals of the draft. Ally Andrew Abbott isn't going to keep referencing because everyone's kind of looking for that kind of profile. Now that's the way to find the steals in the later rounds out of, out of, out of college. Yeah. hundred percent, man. I, I think that they've done really well. I think that this was a very interesting draft with a ton of takeaways here. Um, one more thing before we wrap, please. And it's not draft related. I texted you a name and I got no response. Ronan cop is a 19 year old about to turn 20 in the Dodgers system. Ronan Cop, 6'7", 250 pounds. He's a left-handed pitcher. Cop so far this year with Rancho Cucamonga in low A. 40 and two-thirds innings, 73 punch-outs, 27 walks, a 177 ERA, 23 hits against him in 40 and two-thirds innings. Is Cop another guy that the Dodgers have just spawned? 12th round pick last year. At a junior college. South Mountain Community College. Yeah. He's sitting 96 with a wipeout slider. I, it, it's so annoying. It's really annoying what the Dodgers do at this point. He He's a reliever, obviously, but 6'7 with a plus fastball and potentially plus slider. That's that's just annoying. They spawn these dudes. It's annoying. I'm really interested to see how they develop Maddox Bruns, you know, as, as the yeah. first round pick last year. But yeah, Ronan Cop, this is the thing here. You can, if you want to identify relievers, it's a great way to do it, right? Find a guy with with two pitches you think you could turn to plus, and and physical projection. Six seven two fifty. He's nineteen, uh, ninety six with the fastball, eighty six with the slider, and and plenty of zone whiff to go with that. The, the Dodgers just keep finding guys, and, and I'll wrap up with my one takeaway on Enrique Bradfield. Yes. Did not do a ton in the game I saw. Um, he walked multiple times, uh, but. Knowledge of the strike zone was so impressive. I mean, taking, you know, really, really impressive takes, spoiling really difficult, good to strike pitchers pitches. And also when he's on the base paths, forget about it. Covers so much ground in center field. I mean, this guy is a surefire top 20 pick, I think in 2023, but Bradfield's going to be, I think one of, one of the quickest climbers through the minors with the defensive ability he has. I'm really Excited to see if he can play his way into top five consideration. It's going to require more impact and a really strong summer here on the Cape. Uh, but Enrique Bradfield is is as advertised and is getting more physical as we see him and was a much more advanced hitter uh, than the last time I saw him in the College World Series last year with a lot more, I would say, lower half incorporated and more impact already starting to filter in there. If he even has fringe average power, he's going to be a scary, scary player. Even if he doesn't, his his hit tool and his ability to get on base with that 80-grade speed. Wait, he was 46 for 46 this 46 year? 46 for 46. That's incredible. I mean, you know he's going and you can't stop him. Uh, MLB.com has a mocked seventh right now. Um, there's some really good talent at the top. Obviously, Dylan Cruz out of LSU. Dolander, I think, is the best college pitcher in, in a little bit. Um, I love Dolander. So I think this 2023 draft is going to be awesome. We're not going to look at it yet, but I think uh, that might be a, a, a just baseball spot to hammer if we can do a mock of the top 20 picks. Oh, man. 
I, I'm excited and, and I'm excited that I got to see Bradfield and then Tommy Troy as well is, is a name. Oh, dude, he's great. He was really impressive as well. And uh, man, it was just nice to be back out on the Cape and I uh, catch sure. a game at good old Lowell Park. Elizabeth you see Mike Roberts? I did see he got tossed. Nice. Yeah, he got tossed. So I didn't get to say hello. Um, but he got he got he got tossed. Uh Bradfield got apparently hit with a ball on the foot. They sent him to first and then they changed their mind and brought him back. And, and you know, just yes. Roberts wasn't having it. Um, yeah. you know, it's 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 must win. It's win now mode and could do it. And, and and Mike Roberts is not gonna put up with some with some Mickey Mouse calls like that. Think about base running guru Mike Roberts having Enrique Bradfield for a couple weeks this summer. Oh, it's got to be. He's got to be in heaven. I mean, both of them. Both, both of them have to be. Both of them have to be in heaven. But that'll do it for this draft episode. Um, we'll probably talk a little bit more about it in segments moving forward. Of course, as some takeaways, as the signing bonuses start to trickle in more and more. We'll absolutely talk about that as well uh, and talk about more of the draft classes as we start to get a more of an idea of how much money each of these guys are getting and kind of how each of these teams approach the draft. And I'm sure there might be some surprising non-signees, you know, some guys that may end yeah. up, you know, falling through with the deal for whatever reason. I like Kumar Rocker last year. I don't think there'll be anything that notable, but I'm sure there will be some interesting shuffles here and there back to the minor leagues and breaking down prospects next week. A lot already going on with, you know, kind of after the all-star break assignments, promotions, a lot yep. to discuss there. So very excited to dive into that next week, but Hope you enjoyed this weekend edition of the call up with all of the draft coverage. And we'll talk to you about minor league prospects, affiliated prospects, already signed prospects this coming week. know how to book flights and hotels all you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive that's why you need viator book guided tours excursions and more in one place there are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from so you can find something for everyone and viator offers free cancellation and 24 7 customer support for worry free travel download the viator app now and use code viator 10 for 10 percent off your first booking in the app find travel experiences for you do more with viator when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.